You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Good morning. Uh, I'm excited about this message. I was telling someone backstage that um, this message, I, I guess it's, it's engaging, the content and the material, but, but just like Tyler prayed, it is hard to put into practice. And so I want to set that up at the beginning, and then I want to begin with this question. Um, what do the following people have in common? Uh, look closely at these people. Um, we've got Charles. Well, let's go here. We've got Elizabeth, then Charles. And then we've got William. And then we've got George. Probably the youngest George I know. Um, when I was in seminary, I had a professor that was older named Chad. I, I used to tell him, you're the oldest Chad I know. But, but probably the youngest George I know. But here's, here's the deal with these people. They're all, at one time or another, they were the heir apparent. They were going... Their hopes and dreams, their expectations was to be the next king or queen. And um, obviously that comes with some drama. We all watch that unfold. Uh, but it, it comes with some perks too. Um, as a kid, whether it was at my grandmother's house or as a, a going to the barber shop, I enjoyed reading Reader's Digest. How many people did that? Like I consume Reader's Digest, all right? Uh, check out Reader's Digest's uh, top perks of being the king or queen in the royal family. And number one, no driver's license and no ID. Even though they don't do much driving on, on their own, they don't need a license to get around the UK. In addition to not needing a license, the king or queen doesn't have to have any form of identification. Police officers aren't allowed to ask for it because they're not required to have it. Here's another one, sailing ships. The king or queen has the right to commandeer any British ship. And believe it or not, it has happened. Ownership of swans and all fish. I know British royalty owns most of the swans in the UK. Consequently, the king or queen are the only people in Britain that can eat swan. The king or queen also own all the dolphins, whales, porpoises that come within a three-mile radius of Britain's shores. Technically, the law gives them the right to eat those as well. No cornered sandwiches. Sandwiches served to the royal family never, ever have right-angle corners. You'll find that each sandwich has rounded edges. The rumor is that started with King uh, Philip, and uh, it was because the square sandwiches reminded him of a square coffin, which is a different ballgame, all right? Personal toothbrush squeezer. At one point in time, Charles had a personal valet help him with his nighttime routine. His name was Michael Fawcett. Um, he would squeeze toothpaste onto his toothbrush every night. Royal perk. Bagpipe morning. Queen Elizabeth's preference was Scottish bagpipe as an alarm clock. Happened every morning from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. No washing machines for the king or queen. They're not allowed to be used. Everything is hand washed because sometimes in the past when they sent their clothes away to be cleaned, they would be stolen. Two more. This is great, ladies. Someone to break in your shoes. Queen Elizabeth had someone to break in her shoes for her so she didn't have to suffer in her stiff new shoes. She simply can't be seen complaining about uncomfortable footwear or wanting to change her shoes so someone else makes sure they're comfortable for her. And the final one, I'm telling you, iron shoelaces. <laughs> Charles has three personal valets, all dedicated to maintaining the wardrobe of the king and picking out all he will wear. Another thing they're responsible for? They have to iron the shoelaces on every pair of shoes the king owns. Wow. Perks of being a part of the royal family and the next heir apparent. 
Let's go back 3,000 years. Uh, there was a young man that was the heir apparent to his dad. The young man's name was Jonathan. His dad was Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. Um, he had some crazy perks too. You think about it, Saul, uh, Jonathan, on behalf of his dad being king, Jonathan was probably Israel's most eligible bachelor. Um, you think about it, uh, they would write songs about Jonathan, maybe not as many, but, but, but some. Everywhere he'd walk, like whether it was with his dad, mom, friends, strangers, he would hear these words, one day when you're king, one day when you're king, uh, all his hopes, dreams, expectations were wrapped up in those statements. I mean, he would be the second king of God's nation, Israel. He would have a special place in, in the heart of God. In addition to that, he would be remembered throughout history as the second king. I mean, his whole life he was prepared for this moment. Ready? But all those perks changed one afternoon on a hillside. As he was with his dad in the Israel, the Israelite army on one side of a hill, and on the other side was the Philistine army. In the middle of the two hillsides was a valley. And in that valley was this little shepherd boy with no armor, a slingshot, and a giant named Goliath. And guess what? On that one day, all the affections of Israel changed from Jonathan and Saul to David. All the respect changed from Jonathan and Saul to David. And it was just because of a little boy with a slingshot. Um, to make matters worse, there were rumors behind the scene that the prophet Samuel had kind of done a covert mission where he had anointed little David to be the next king of Israel. From Jonathan's perspective, please, you got to go there today. From Jonathan's perspective, there's only one word to describe this. Man, unfair and if you think about Jonathan, um, it's, it's kind of hard for me to stir up the emotions. He had every reason in the world to hate David, to resent David, to bash David, to envy David. After all, David had ruined Jonathan's life. He destroyed his future. He crashed his party. This little shepherd boy had changed every hope and dream for Jonathan. But instead of hating, instead of hating David, Jonathan chose a different path. He pursued a friendship with the guy that destroyed his future. There are big implications for all of us in this room because there are people in your life, there are people in my life that say things about us, that do things, that are things, that have things that, that bother us, that consume us. And our emotions war inside us about how God is blessing someone other than us in a way that we prefer. But I want to tell you this, no matter how bad it is for you, no matter how bad it gets for me, our circumstances do not compare to this story. I mean, imagine you're Jonathan. Whole life, all the perks, all the dreams changed in an instant. And yet somehow Jonathan knew something, he saw something, he believed something that would cause him to pursue a friendship with David instead of going against him. Not long after David killed Goliath, I want you to look at a conversation that Jonathan has with um, David. Look at this in uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse one. Uh, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. I mean, those words are hard for me to fathom. And he loved David as himself. 
And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. It's an imagery. Everything that you have, everything that I have, David, it's yours. David, this sword is a reminder that for the rest of your life, for the rest of my life, I will do anything it takes. I've got your back. I will protect you and your descendants. And guess what? Fair left town for Jonathan. I, like I look at the story and, and I'm just floored by his response because he could have asked God, God, why are you punishing me for something my dad did? Jonathan had every reason in the world to be bothered to the point where he allowed envy, jealousy, hatred, gossip to stir in his heart, to come out in a response on behalf of what David had done. I, can I show you what it looks like in our world? Imagine you're in high school. I mean, you look at someone else and they're smart, you're not. They're dating, you're not. They're athletic, you're not. They have a car. Um, their parents aren't divorced. Or imagine you're in college. Someone else's school's paid for. They don't have to work. They're dating, they have no roommate drama. They're still playing sports. They aren't worried about bills. They have a job waiting for them. Or right, how about young marrieds, mid-marrieds? They're married, I'm still not. They have kids. They get to stay home. They work from home. And by the way, those that are jealous of others that work from home are jealous of some of the others that get to go to work. They get vacations. They have this thing called savings and retirement. What, what, what is that? Or later in life, man, they're still married. I lost my spouse. They don't have debt. Their kids still want to be around. They actually retired. They get to travel. They have a vacation home. For all practical purposes, all of us in this room struggle with other people that are happy, healthy, and handsome. It's true. Like when we go through our tough times, like we look at somebody that seems to have a happy marriage, happy job, and happy posts. Or how about handsome? It's like, I still look the same as high school. I mean, she could wear that bathing suit. We play through all those scenarios. Healthy. They don't understand how good they've got it. All the doctor trips, the hospital trips, in other words, periodically in our mind, there is a tension, an emotional tug of war. They've got something that I wish I had. Something that I really want, something that I really think I deserve. It's just not fair. Truth be told, all of us in this room could say this, I want to be king, and I hate it when someone else threatens my crown. Um, the result, pride, resentment, hatred, jealousy, envy. Honestly, sometimes the result is when we're jealous of someone else, we start saying things about that someone else to everyone else so that everyone else feels the same way about that person that we do. Here's why. It is hard to celebrate what someone else has because it's a constant reminder of what I don't have. In addition to that, it's like, man, if I celebrate their success, it's equivalent to reminding me of my failure. And so far, here's Jonathan taking the high road. 
doing something that I struggle with, doing something I hope that many of you in the room struggle with, like all of us struggle with this in some form or, some form or fashion. But Jonathan took the high road. Now, now let's ask about his dad, King Saul, the first king of Israel. When he finds out about Jonathan's response toward David, Saul gives a response toward Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 30, here's the conversation. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to Jonathan, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. How, ladies, how would you like to be married to that guy? Um, Happy Valentine's week, all right? Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now, send and bring him to me for he must die. And that's from a king. In other words, Jonathan, here's what jealousy is. Here's what envy is. We want what he has. He doesn't deserve what he has. Let's take what he has. And this is the king of Israel. A king with all the perks. A king with all the power. Imagine this king is jealous with all his power of a shepherd with lots of popularity. Um, It would be like a guy consumed with jealousy on behalf of another guy. Let's play off the intro. It would be like King Charles being jealous of Harry Styles from our point of view. The most powerful man in Britain who could call anybody at any time and they're gonna answer the phone. Um, Goodness gracious, the guy gets to eat swan, gets his shoelaces ironed. And he's jealous of a guy that's holding a trophy from last Sunday night for singing, just popular. Like from a human perspective, that's what it would be equivalent to. Now, the reason you and I see this story with clarity, like I can't believe they'd be jealous of him. I can't believe Saul would be jealous of this, this kid, David, powerful Saul, popular David. The reason you and I see it with such clarity is because our emotions aren't involved in the story. But when it comes to our circumstance, our situation with someone else, someone younger, someone prettier, someone older, someone married, someone that has something that we think we deserve, something that we want, guess what? Our emotions are really engaged. And there is a a tug of war, there is a tension, there are constant thoughts. And I just want to make this statement. If jealousy can consume the heart of a king, think about it. What can it do to us in this room? Now, what I want to do is kind of go to the other extreme. You know, we started with Jonathan, how he took the high road. And now what I'd like for us to do is to kind of look at Look at um, Jonathan again. And, and I want us to sneak a peek at, at something that Jonathan embraced. Uh, we could ask the question, what does Jonathan know that we don't know? That caused him to do that with David. Like to pursue a friendship, a covenant friendship. Like I got your back. Even though it was something that Jonathan wanted. Like what was rolling around in his head? We could say it this way, what does Jonathan Remember, 
that Tim Miller tends to forget. The answer is found in the text, uh, just a few verses before the conversation with his dad. If you'll look at verse 13, there is a principle that should inform us so much that there is no circumstance in this room. There is no situation in this room that's this extreme as Jonathan's. There's no situation or circumstance in this room that can't, that is not a candidate for progress or growth or change. Here's Jonathan's conversation with David. Oh, this is huge. Verse 13, if my father is inclined to harm you, notice these words, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away safely, may the Lord deal, be with you as he has been with my father. Here's what Jonathan remembered that we tend to forget. Here's what was rolling around in his head. Ready? God made a decision. God had selected David. God was now with David. In the same way that he used to be with Saul before Saul made some bad decisions. And since God had made a decision to be with David and to select David to be the next king, if Jonathan did not support it, God would deal with Jonathan. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, like he embraced, he supported he embraced and supported the fact that God gave something to David because God decided it and God chose it. God gave something to David that, that Jonathan felt he deserved. Um, God made a decision and Jonathan could do one of three things. He could resist it. He could accept it. Or he could support it. He could resist it and be like his dad. Like consumed by it. He could accept it and probably be like every other person where it still is in his head all the time. Throwing the towel. I have nothing I can do. Disappointed. Or he could support it. Like he did. And take the high road. And make a statement to David that I want to pursue a covenant relationship with you. Even though you took something I don't have. And by the way, from Jonathan's point of view, he did this. And it wasn't because David deserved it. Like from Jonathan's point of view, David, what does he know about being a king? He grew up in a poor family. He would watch sheep. I mean, he smelled like sheep. David didn't know anything about palace life. But Jonathan knew it wasn't because David deserved it. He did this because God decided it. And that's where the tug of war is for all of us in this room. And since God had made a decision on behalf of selecting David, Jonathan was wise enough to get in line with it. He asked himself a powerful question on behalf of expectations, hopes, and dreams that kind of fall apart. How's the king's son supposed to respond after waiting his whole life to become king? And God chose someone else. You and I need to press in on this because Jonathan did it, and it wasn't because David deserved it. It was because God had decided it, meaning an all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving God had made a decision. And a human with a limited perspective like myself, 
I have a choice. I can be like Saul and I can resist it. I can be like every other Tim in the world and just accept it and kind of get disappointed. Or I can find a way behind the scenes in my heart, in my prayers to support it. Practically speaking, here's where I want to press in on all of us in this room. Ready? God has made some decisions about you. God has made some decisions about me. God has made some decisions on behalf of other people. God has made some decisions on behalf of other people that impact you, that impact me. (laughs) Can I highlight some of God's decisions that he's made? For some of you in this room, you live in a complicated family. It's God's decision. He either allowed it or he arranged it. But it did not happen apart from his permission. Complicated family with kids that are going rogue. Kids whose lives falling apart. Complicated family with an affair, a secret exposed, an addiction, a habit. For some reason, God allowed that. But it didn't catch him by surprise. Um, how about on behalf of limited potential? God, God made a decision. Guess what? Like, God made me look the way I do. He allowed it, arranged it. Sure, I've got some choices in the matter, but I can't do much about pale skin. You know, I laugh about this a lot. It's kind of a joke inside our family. I feel like the longest distance when our family goes to the beach is getting out of the water back to my T-shirt. Like, like I'm embarrassed to walk in public. It's humiliating. But God decided that. God made decisions on behalf of all of us in this room. Some people are smarter than us. Some people are prettier than us. Some people are wealthier than us. But God decided that. Didn't catch him by surprise. He's not confused by it. He either arranged it or allowed it. But it did not happen apart from an all-knowing, all-loving God's permission. Or how about difficult people? Some of us in this room have difficult people around us every day of the week. You know what? It's God's decision. He either allowed it or arranged it, but it didn't catch him by surprise. People that block your progress. People that just flat out annoy you. People that ruin your day, people that get in the way, but God made a decision. He's not confused, he's not surprised. He either allowed it or arranged it, but it did not happen apart from God's permission. But you know what happens? If I'm not handling this right, I've got one hand on my crown and the other hand on my little kingdom. Like like I won't let go of this because I don't want to let go of this. There is a tension inside of me, and I have a choice that's evident page to page to page to page in this story. I can either resist it and be a miserable king, jealous, eat up with envy, or I could be like everyone else and just kind of throw in the towel, disappointed, just sulking, or I could be like Jonathan, take the high road. And support God in some form or fashion on behalf of what someone else has that I don't. 
Here's a question that all of us in this room could ask in light of my current situation. Whatever it is that you struggle with, when somebody's name shows up on your phone, when you run into them at work, when you're scrolling on socials, their post shows up and your heart kind of goes there. In light of my current situation, what I don't have, what I want, what I think I deserve, what they don't deserve, in light of my current situation, since God has made a decision to somehow bless them in a way that, that I'm not blessed right now, it didn't catch God by surprise, he's not confused, somehow he allowed it or arranged it, didn't happen apart from his permission, how should I respond right now, tonight, this week, like Jonathan, to let God know, you know what, I'm on board. And I told you at the beginning of the day, this is not easy at all. It's really hard. Can I press in and tell you how hard it is and how it plays out according to the Bible? Love your enemies, even though they're difficult. Even though they stop progress, even though they said something, did something. Children, obey your parents even though you think you know what's better. Husbands, love your wives, even though it's tough. By the way, the the premise of this love, there's the comparison, Ephesians 5. Love your wives the same way that Jesus loved the church. How much did Jesus love the church? Well, enough to die for. Husbands, even though it's difficult, we're to love our wives in such a way, be willing to sacrificially die on her behalf. And that daily decision to die to ourself happens in good times and difficult times. Wives, submit to your husbands and everybody sees that word and they're like, oh, that's such a harsh word. No, it's not. The word simply means an invitation to lead. So wives, invite your husband to lead. Or how about this? The same word is used with servants. On behalf of work, servants, submit to your masters, like, like they've been put in a position of leadership over you, so invite them to lead. Make it a joy for them to lead. Uh, make, it, make it a highlight of the week to be around you when they lead, even when they're difficult. You see, um, I, I guess I have a crazy analogy for how all this plays out and our response to the difficulty in what the Bible tells us to do. Like on behalf of us having three choices, whether or not we resist it or accept it or support it. Yesterday, I got home. Jenny shot me a text and she said, hey, I made you a salad at the house. And I'm like, oh man, I'm so hungry, can't wait. She said, we won't be here, but it's in the fridge. And it's kind of one of my favorite salads. And I got home and I pulled it out of the fridge and I had a post-it on it. Um, and when I got this posted, like I took the saran wrap, I threw it off, and I'm like, wait a minute. There was a word that stood out in there. And I got it back out, and I put it back on, and I took a picture for you guys, because it just got my heart. Um, Beautiful fruit salad, incredible, but she wrote no pecans or dressing. Here's the beautiful word, yet. That word caught me. I know how Jenny's wired, and she's like particular about food. She knew that uh, if the dressing pecans were on it, that dressing would kind of make that salad soggy, uh, pecans soggy, lose its crunchiness, all that jazz. 
So I had three choices. I could resist and say, you know what? Put it back in the fridge. I don't want this. I could accept it and go to the table or the chair by myself and sit down and eat it with no salad dressing, with no pecans on it, and just disappointed in the, the salad that's not well put together. Or I could support it. it. Took some work to support it, not much, but en- enough. I'd go look in the cupboard and then go back in the refrigerator and look around. Oh, there's the pecans and, and there's the dressing. And I put it on this salad. And it was something else. Here's what I want to tell you. From God's point of view, on behalf of whatever's going on that you're bothered by, envious of, jealous of, I would just say the thing that you want, the pecans and the dressing. There's no pecans and no dressing yet. Hold on to that. Because for followers of Jesus, there will be a day when spouses are reunited. There will be a day when all hope is taken care of. There will be a day when there's no more loneliness, no more jealousy, no more envy. But you got to hold on to the yet. And like Saul, you and I can resist it. Or like everybody else, we can just accept it, sulk and disappointment. Or we can take the high road, like Jonathan, and find a way to support it. A beautiful prayer that you and I could pray. God, this didn't catch you by surprise, so I choose to trust you. Uh, Today, we've done something that we do maybe a couple times a year. I think it's been a little while since we've done this. Uh, We put together some cards. I'd like to ask everybody to grab one when you leave so no one else feels awkward, like, oh, I really struggle with this. We all struggle with this. A king struggled with it. The card simply says on one side, God, this didn't catch you by surprise. And that's the thing that we're all eat up with, consumed by. uh, Something we hoped we would get, we deserved, we expected. It says on one side, God, this didn't catch you by surprise. And then on the back it said, I choose to trust you. You see, what, what the Bible's telling us is God has made decisions. And he's placed it in our lap that we can make a decision. The decisions that we make, okay, will I... Resist his decision. Will I accept it and be disappointed? Or will I support it to the best of my abilities? Today with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to press in on this. Can you think through that prayer? And perhaps right now, even though your heart's not there, at least vocalize it. And tell him, say, hey God, I know this didn't catch you by surprise. You made a choice. So I'm going to make a choice. The choice is to trust you. So some of you in this room, God, when you tell me to obey my parents, I choose to trust you. And God, this year, even though the last few years have been tough, the last few weeks, months have been tough, I will choose as a husband to love my wife like Jesus loved the church. And ladies... Even though the the disappointment's there, can you tell God that God, you know what, I'm going to invite my husband to lead. I'm going to make it easy. I want to make it joyful. Or how about this? 
Could you pray right now on behalf of work and how yucky it is? God, on behalf of the enemies at work, the difficult people, help me to love them. Show me how. Give me a practical way to support the decision that you've made. Even on behalf of the leadership that's over me, how do I make it a joy for them to lead me even though they're not the best? And on behalf of the enemies, I just want you to consider these are the people whose names show up on your phone. Their email shows up in your inbox. Their picture shows up on your feed. This week they will cross paths. Why don't you pray, God help me to make a choice in every dimension of my life to trust you. For those in this room that are not yet followers of Christ, I just want to tell you uh, on behalf of this message, if you don't know Jesus, you, you can't help but admit, man, that's a pretty good way to live. If that's how you deal with jealousy and envy, the Bible speaks into every aspect of life. And so here's what I want to do. I want to press in on you and encourage you. If God's that concerned about this aspect, think about how much he's concerned about every aspect. And wouldn't it be beautiful for you to trust the God who sent his son to show us who God is and show us what God wants and to show us how much God loves? Wouldn't it be beautiful for you to find a way to surrender your life to him? If that's you in this room today, I want to encourage you the end of the service to come talk to us. You can come to the front right of the room. There's a little room on the side or go to the back of the room on the way out. And there will be people in both areas, a next steps area, and we would love to have a conversation with you. I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you for today. And it's a tough message to apply, but I pray that we would understand there is beautiful freedom found in the application of this text. I thank you for the way that Jonathan modeled this. Help us to acknowledge that there are some decisions that you've made, whether you allowed it or arranged it. It just didn't happen without your permission. And show us how to support it. And I pray all of this today in Jesus' name. Amen.